Our sermon this morning is from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you have them, or grab a pew Bible from the seat in front of you. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find Romans chapter 13 on page 892. So turn there and we will follow along together as we read about and talk about and consider uh, the government and, and how uh, Christians are to relate to the, the government. Uh, we live in a society that is, com- that, that, uh, is comprised of large swaths of, of Christians, people who uh, know Jesus and love Jesus like, like many of, of us, but we also live in a society with other people. Uh, all of whom do not know Jesus, and so there's kind of an art and a science to uh, coexisting well in that society where people have differing uh, beliefs. Um, you know, a lot of people are Christians, a lot of people are not, and so uh, we, we have to kind of think through biblically as Christians how to relate to others in that society and specifically to relate to the government that has authority over that society in a way that's good and, and helpful. Um, and there are a lot of people with a lot of strong convictions and a lot of very angular beliefs on uh, the government, what the government is, what its role is, what it should do, what it should not do, uh, where it derives its uh, power and authority uh, from, you know, um, phrases come to mind like from the consent of the the governed or from the will of the majority or from the the constitution or some other uh, founding document. So a lot of ideas uh, about the the government and uh, how it should or should not operate in uh, society, which makes texts like this one particularly tricky to think about, talk about, tricky to preach on. A A lot of pastors will uh, avoid uh, texts like this uh, in, entirely. You have a lot of people that think that um, you need to have a government that is robust and uh, you know hardy and strong with lots of authority, so that it can regulate behavior, put rules in place, enforce those rules, make sure that society is running well, uh, make sure that people uh, can, can flourish and, and uh, have good lives in that society. So they want a strong government. A lot of people that, that usually favor a strong government are maybe the people who are in power at any given moment. Right? They, they want more uh, authority or people who agree with what the government that is in power at that moment is doing at that moment. Right, so I have, you know, personal say I have certain beliefs about whatever foreign policy or regulation or climate change. Right? I, I have beliefs about what needs to be done, and so I want a government that is big and strong and able to make sure that people and organizations act accordingly. I have certain beliefs about religion, morality, lifestyle. So I want a strong government that can, you know, ban drugs and make sure that you can't you know, buy liquor on Sundays or, or, you know, make sure that you can't put profanity or inappropriate uh, content uh, in places where children might see it, right? So, so there's people that want a big, strong government that's able to enact its will. There's people that want a limited, small government, one that doesn't 
tell them what to do in every uh, facet of their lives. These are often people that maybe are not in, in power or maybe are concerned about what would happen if someone that disagreed with them came to, to power. Right? So, you know, again, depending on when you are in history and what your beliefs are, you know, I'm, um, you know, I'm in a same-sex relationship and we want to get married and, and I don't want the government uh, telling us that we can't or, or I want to get an, an abortion and the government shouldn't be able to tell me that I can't or the government just passed some law telling me something that I have to do that I don't want to do and I don't think it should be able to do that or I want to keep all of my income and the government shouldn't be able to tell me that I can't, that I have to pay taxes on it. So lots of different beliefs about the government and about its role in our lives, how much is too much, how little is too little. And so texts like this are hard. Uh, but uh, we are going to just tackle it head on and, and just think together this morning about the government and how, what the role is of the government and how God wants his people um, to relate to and, and interact with and engage with the, the government. So let's read Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, and then let's spend a few minutes thinking about it and considering it together. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities who are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your word. And we pray that you would use your word to instruct us and shape us and form us and, and grow us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That's the, that's the uh, overarching theme of this text. The rest of the passage is, is explaining and expounding upon that uh, kind of overarching theme. Christians are to be subject to the government, to obey the government. Which, which, it, which seems simple enough, uh, and is simple enough uh, on its surface, um, but is also, uh, like any other passage of Scripture, is, is worth thinking carefully about 
and defining our terms and looking uh, at the entire Bible to, to let the whole Bible speak with one collective voice. Um, that's, what it, that's, how you, that's how you do theology, right, is by uh, reading, you know, kind of looking at what the entire Bible says about a given topic or a given, uh, you know, issue. And, uh, you know, we develop theology by letting the Bible speak for its, itself. So, uh, like we already established, lots of people have lots of different uh, ideas about the government and what it should be doing and what it is, which means that a lot of different Christians come to a text like this, and uh, many will have a tendency to do one of two things, depending on, uh, again, how they feel about the, the government. And so some might say, right there, black and white, you know, it says what it means, it means what it says, obey the government always, all the time, no exceptions, no questions asked, or I don't need to look anywhere else, I don't need to hear any other verses, I don't need to think any more than what we've just said, Romans 13.1, obey the government, end of conversation. Some Christians might read this text and respond in that way. Some might read this text and say, alright, I get that this verse is telling me to obey the government, but I don't want to. So, I don't think I should have to. I'm not going to. I don't like what the government is telling me to do. Uh, the people that are in power are in a different political party than I am. I don't really like them, so I'm not going to obey them. And I'm going to do anything and everything that I can to manufacture every reason that I can for why this text doesn't really mean what it says and why I shouldn't have to obey it and why I can feel justified in disobeying the, the government. And I would submit to you that both of those impulses are wrong and that we should avoid them. And that if you hold one of them, that you should repent. Um, because when it, comes to this t- when it comes to any text in the Bible, frankly, that those would represent two uh, faulty ways of approaching any text of Scripture. One is to say, this is it, and that's it. I don't want to hear any more about it. I don't want to read anything else in the Bible about it. This verse is convenient for me and what I want to do. So this is all I'm going to consider. That is a wrong way to approach Scripture. And another is to say, this verse is inconvenient. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. So let me think and let me uh, twist and let me do gymnastics to try to find some way to not have to obey it. I think both of those impulses are are wrong. So we should avoid them. So an appropriate way to handle a text like this, I think, um, is two things. One is to just let it speak for itself. Let it uh, say what it means. But then also to think about it uh, you know, holistically with the whole Bible, with the whole counsel of God. So what does it say? Let, letting it speak for itself, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. It means just that, obey the, the government. If you come to this verse and you spend all of your time thinking about it and saying about it, a, a bunch of reasons why you should not have to obey the government, even though it clearly says that you do, then I would submit that that's not being honest or accurate or or biblical. Romans 13.1 is a command that's for all Christians to obey the government. Even if you don't want to, even if you don't feel like you should have to, even if you don't agree with it, even if you don't think that they're doing a good job, Christians are to obey the government. So we start there. That's our, that's our starting point. Christians are commanded to obey the, the government. If we're not starting there, then we're not being faithful to to scripture. And 
Here's the reason why Paul wants us to obey the government. Let every person be subject. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So the reason why Paul is comfortable saying all Christians everywhere should obey the government is because he recognizes that God is sovereign, and God is in charge, and God is the one who put the government there in the first place. Not obeying the government or deciding that you only are going to obey the government when, when its commands uh, are, are in line with what you would have wanted to do anyway, that kind of mindset, that kind of posture would be appropriate in a world where God is not in charge. In a world where Right, this this uh, dog eat dog might makes right world where uh, the 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 whoever's in charge in the government is there because they forced their way to the top and they exploited and crushed everyone uh, else and and uh, you know God doesn't want them there and if God could have His way they would not be there in a world like that then by all means disobey the government disregard what they're calling you to do but. If God is sovereign, and if God is in charge, like the Bible says that he is, then that means that the government is under God's authority. God is the one who put them there, or at the very least allowed them to be there. No one in the entire world occupies any seat of authority who managed to get there without God knowing about it and allowing it to happen. And so since God is sovereign and in charge, and God is the one who established the government that we have at any given time, Paul says we should be, sub- we should be subject to the authorities. And the implication is, verse 2, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. To disobey the government is to disobey God. You may not like the government. You may not want to obey the government. You may not think that you should have to obey the government. You may decide to disobey the government. But just know that if you do, you're disobeying not just the government, but God himself, because God is the one who put that government uh, where it, it is. And those who resist will incur judgment. It's fairly self-evident. You break the law, there are consequences. You get punished. You get fined, you go to jail, kill someone, steal something, hurt someone, take advantage of someone, you get arrested, you get prosecuted, you get, you get punished, right? And, and so God uh, does not uh, intend for sins and evil like that to go unpunished and to go unchecked in society. God is not pro-anarchy, God is not pro everyone be a law unto themselves, everyone do whatever they want to, to do and live with no accountability and no authority over you whatsoever. That's not the heart of God, and that's not what the Bible teaches. So, I mean, we can, Christians can have conversations about law enforcement, just war theory, police brutality, mass incarceration, mandatory minimums, authoritarian governmental overreach laws and rules that are unjust that those are all conversations that we can and should uh, have but the starting point for every christian who submits to the authority of scripture is that god is a god of 
law and order of justice and law and order, and God supports the just and right enforcement of his laws. God is opposed to anarchy and lawlessness, uh, and God uh, is uh, in favor of, God is supports, God supports uh, a, a government that enforces laws. Verse 3, 4, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So if you find yourself constantly at odds with the government, constantly uh, in fear of being punished by the government, there's an easy fix for that. Stop breaking the law. Right? If, you, if you engage in criminal behavior, if you don't pay your taxes, if you drive a stolen car, you're probably not going to have the best relationship with law enforcement. You're probably going to, get, probably going to have heart palpitations every time you see blue lights on the, the road. Understandably so. But if you don't do that, if you have a regular job, you pay your taxes, when you drive, you're sober, and you drive the speed limit, then you'll look and feel and react much differently when you see a police officer. Right? You'll smile and wave. Tell them thank you for your service. Because they're not a threat to you. Right? They're, you're not doing anything wrong, and so that would, you would do not, you're, do, you're not doing anything that would invite their judgment uh, upon you. So rulers are a terror to, not to good conduct, but to bad conduct. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. If you're not breaking the law, then you'll have a healthy relationship with the government, with law enforcement. But if you are breaking the law then you probably won't, and you'll be running for them, and you'll be looking out for them, and you'll be afraid of of them. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Meaning, the government's job is to enforce laws, to punish evil, i.e. breaking the law, and to promote righteousness, abiding by the law. And, and the government does that not uh, in and of itself, but the government does that on behalf of God himself. God gave that job to the government. The government is a servant of, of God. So the guy who says, the government has no right to tell me what to do, no right to tell me how to live my life, no authority to regulate my behavior in any way, God would say, well, they do have that right because I gave that right to them. They are my servant. I have tasked them with carrying out my wrath against evil and sin on my behalf. So the government does have a right to tell you what to do. Might not be what we want to hear. It might not comport with our political beliefs. Uh, But God is very clear that the government is God's servant, and when the government punishes lawbreakers, it is carrying out God's will. Verse 5, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Meaning, there are at least two reasons why every single Christian should obey God the government, and submit to the governing authorities. The word, you know, uh, the word authorities is plural, right? So it's not, just, so, you know, anyone and everyone that's, you know, from the president of the United States all the way down to 
you know, your local municipality or the police officer that pulls you over, authorities, plural. There are two reasons why we should obey the government. One is to avoid wrath, which is, again, fairly self-evident. We obey the government so that we won't get punished. Uh, punished by the government here in this life, with fines and jail and prosecution. Punished by God in eternity in hell. Right? Murder, so murder is illegal. If you murder someone, you'll get arrested, you'll stay in trial, you'll be convicted of murder, you'll go to prison for a long time, you might even be executed. So we want to avoid the wrath of the state in this life. But murder is also a sin against God. So if you commit it and you don't repent of it and you don't trust in Jesus to forgive you for it, then you will die and stand before God and give an account for that act of murder and God will condemn you to hell for all of eternity to suffer conscious punishment forever and ever. None of that is good. None of that is appealing. So one reason why Christians... Uh, live in subjection to the government is to avoid wrath, avoid God's wrath in eternity, and avoid God's wrath uh, being channeled through human governments here in this life. It's not pleasant, so we want to avoid it, so we, we obey the government. But the other is for the sake of conscience, meaning that when we disobey the government, in light of the fact that that is not only disobeying the government, but it's also disobeying God, it's sin, that uh, affects our, con- we, we feel bad about it. We regret having done it. When a person becomes a Christian, uh, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in their heart. John 14 says, Jesus says, I will ask the, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, right? Jesus says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to live in you, dwell in you, help you. Later in John 16, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to bring conviction of sin. When you do something wrong, the Holy Spirit brings it to mind that what you did was wrong. And he kind of, it eats at you and it's, it, you're, you're constantly aware of it and you're not able to get it out of your head that you have done something to offend God. Your conscience is bothered through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We live in a, our society is big into mental health nowadays, right? You have to affirm people and the choices that they're making. Uh, otherwise that might affect their mental health. They might feel bad about themselves. And I do think that mental health is a real thing. I think we should take it seriously. I think that we should look out for people who are suffering from mental health issues by all means. But I also think that a lot of the time when the world looks at someone and says their mental health is suffering, we need to affirm them. What might actually be happening is that the Holy Spirit is convicting them of sin and he's intending to lead them to repentance. So not everything is Mental health issue, let's fix it by affirming them. Sometimes it's conviction of sin, let's encourage them to repent, and then let's give them grace and time and space uh, to, to, to do so. So Christians obey the government, they live in subjection to the government to avoid God's wrath and also for the sake of their conscience, so that they won't experience debilitating conviction of sin through the ministry of the Holy Spirit.
Verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. So, here's a real big area that affects every person uh, in which the government regulates your behavior. It's called paying taxes, right? If, if the government takes a significant portion of your income or of every time you buy or sell something, that, that portion of that goes to the government, that's money that you could otherwise be using to do something else, but now it's, it's gone, and so that the government has effectively said, this money, we're going to regulate, we're, we're going to take this, you can't do what you want with it, we're going to do what we want with it. So all of the other laws that the government passes and enforces kind of, um, you know, prevent bad behavior. Don't murder, steal, you know, these kinds of things. But in order to enforce those laws, there have to be people devoted to it, has to be funded, hence taxes. So Paul says, obey the government, and one uh, applicable way to obey the government is to uh, pay your taxes, because the, author- the government, the governmental authorities are ministers of God, att- attending to this very thing, attending to the enforcing of the, the laws that God wants in-, in place. God wants the government to exist. He wants the government to be funded so that it can do its job. And then Paul used, I mean, it's strong language, right? Paul literally calls the governing authorities ministers of God. That's, that's language that's used in the Bible of angels, heavenly beings. It's language that's used of, I mean, I, that's on my W-2, minister. So Paul is saying, right, a, a person who works for the, 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 government, the government and the governing authorities has, in some sense, a similar office, you know, a similar office to that of a, of a, of a pastor, they have, been, they have been tasked by, called by God to a particular, um, a particular responsibility, a particular, right? God has called pastors to be, to preach and teach and disciple people and help them follow Jesus. And God has called people in the government to, you know, enact policies, pass laws, enforce laws so that the people of God can live lives that are peaceful and quiet and dignified, Without laws and law enforcement, that can't happen. It's just every man for himself. Without laws and law enforcement, good luck getting home from church without being attacked by someone who's stronger than you or someone who has a bigger gun than you at that, at that moment. So being involved in the government is a high calling that God respects and take seriously. So if you work for the government, do it. If you work for the government, you are literally a minister of God, just as much as I am, just as much as any pastor that you know. So take that job seriously and do it, do it well. Verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Pay your taxes is one very simple, obvious, you know, application. Don't cheat on your taxes. Don't say that you made less money than you really did. Don't uh, cook the books so that you owe less taxes than you should. Don't lie and take advantage of some loophole that you know was not meant for you. Pay the taxes that you owe. Pay the revenue that you owe. 
And here's where it gets especially convicting because those are monetary things. So pay those, but also respect and honor. So don't slander the government. Don't talk bad about the government. That guy's an idiot. That guy's a moron. Everyone in Washington is stupid. They're a bunch of crooks and liars, right? Whatever. It's not respect. It's not honor, right? All police officers are bad. They use excessive force. They target particular communities. They don't do their jobs. They eat too many donuts, right? It's not respect and and honor, right? Uh, Taxes and revenue, pay them as you owe them, but also respect and honor. Speak well of governing authority. Pray for them is what uh, we read in 1 Timothy 2. Pray for them. Thank God for them because this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. That's Paul's word on on the government and how Christians are to relate to and interact with the the government. But remember, there's two errors to avoid. Pretty much this whole passage is about, and we've been spending the whole time thus far this morning talking about that, the one error of like, yeah, but I don't want to, right? Like, I don't don't want to uh, obey the, the government, I don't think I should have to. I feel like I'm above the law. I feel like this doesn't apply to me right now. If that's you, then Romans 13, 1 through 7 is a good passage for you to read, study, think about, meditate on, memorize, and and submit to. But there's another mistake that we can make with, with in any passage of Scripture, including, including this one, which is to, to not think carefully about it and not think broadly about what Scripture says about that particular topic. Because there are a number of situations that I would argue that could arise, and there are a number of examples in the Bible where being faithful to Jesus would necessitate or at the very least would permit uh, peacefully disobeying the, the human government. And so I'm gonna, we're going to talk about two. One is fairly clear and fairly straightforward, and the other is a little more complicated and requires a little more thought and, and study. Two situations. So the first one, the clear one, is when the government requires uh, or mandates you to do something that violates the law of God. If the government requires you to sin, then you should disobey the government. That's the clear situation. And the more complicated situation, but I think is still very much uh, a, a relevant situation to consider, is when the government wanders outside of its jurisdiction that God has prescribed for it, delegated to it, and starts to abuse its, its authority can be a little more ambiguous, but I think they're both relevant and worth thinking about. So the first one, the clear one, uh, we should, not only we, we can, but we must disobey the government if and when the government uh, instructs us, demands us, requires us to sin against God. Again, we see examples of this all throughout Scripture. Exodus 1, Pharaoh says, there's too many Hebrews, too many Jewish people. I'm getting nervous. I think they might turn the tides and there be more than us and they have more power than us. So I want, uh, I want to every, 
every male infant that's born in the nation of Israel, I want to be murdered the second that they are born. And the Hebrew midwives say, yeah, we're not doing that. We're not going to murder babies. Sure, God wants me to obey the government. I'm happy to do that. But God also wants me to not murder infants. So I'm going to obey that command, even though in this moment that means I'm going to be disobeying. I mean, if if the Hebrew midwives had said, Romans 13, obey the government, end of discussion, and then started mass murdering young children, that would have been wrong and, and sinful. Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar, right? Builds this huge statue. He says, worship this statue of me or else you'll be thrown into a furnace and die. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're not doing that. You can kill us if you want to, but we're not going to worship someone other than God. Because God wants us to obey the government and we're happy to do it, but God also wants us to not worship Nebuchadnezzar. So we're going to do that even though it means disobeying uh, the king at this moment. Same thing with Daniel 6 and Daniel, right? Uh, don't pray to anyone other than me. If you do, you're going to get thrown into the lion's den. And Daniel says, I'm happy to obey you when I can, but I'm not going to stop praying to God. Do, do your worst. Do, do what you will, but I'm not going to disobey God in an attempt to obey uh, the, uh, a corrupt governmental uh, official. John the Baptist is rebuking King Herod. King Herod... Uh, commits adultery, marries his brother's wife, and John the Baptist says you can't do that, and she doesn't really like that because, you know, it's, it's implying certain things about her, and it might be a threat to her stability and power in the royal court, and so she doesn't like him. Herod says, dude, just stop, man. Just be quiet with this whole, like, talking bad about uh, my, my wife, and, and John the Baptist says, I, I'm not going to stop. You can imprison me if you want to. You can kill me if you want to, but I'm not going to stop proclaiming God's word on this matter, and that's exactly what what happens. Acts chapter 4 and 5, John and Peter are preaching the gospel, and it annoys the authorities. And they get arrested, and they say, seriously, guys, quit it. Like, we like, we we want to, like, have a good relationship here, but you got to stop proclaiming the gospel. It's kind of, it's, it's causing some unrest, and they say, yeah, we are not going to stop. If we're given a clear choice between obeying you, the human government, and obeying God, it literally says we must obey God rather than men. So Romans 13.1 says to obey the government, and it's true, and it's right, and you should do it. It's, a, it's, the, it's the general rule. It's the general posture. It should uh, be in effect in your life the vast majority of the time. Obey what the government has commanded you to do. But in those rare cases where doing what the government instructs would involve sinning against God, then you have to disobey. You have to obey God rather than human government and just let the chips fall where they, where they may. Right? If the government says, you can't share the gospel with your neighbor, you do it anyway. Because Jesus tells us to in Matthew 28. If the government says you can't pray, you do it anyway because God commands us to. If the government says you have to worship someone or something else, you don't do that because God has commanded you not to, right? So obey God and then obey the government as long as the government is not requiring you to disobey God. 
That's the first kind of exception. To be honest, that, that, if you only remember that one exception, you'll be fine. Right? Like if that, 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 that one rule, obey the government, and that one exception, except when the government is requiring you to sin against God, is probably, uh, uh, you know, it will, will get you through the vast majority of life. You, you know, you can stand before God and give an account for your life with a good conscience, a clean conscience, if you only remember that one rule and that one uh, exception. But I think that there is another category that's a little more ambiguous, requires some thought, requires some theology, but is worth considering, which is what do you do when the government wanders outside of its jurisdiction and starts to abuse its authority and practice this kind of tyrannical governmental overreach? Because you can imagine some scenarios where the government has called you to do something that it may not be overtly sinful in and of itself, but it still is just not the government's prerogative to speak into that. Perhaps the government is overstepping its bounds a little bit and venturing into areas where God has not authorized it to, to go. And so in order to kind of the, to start thinking about this, this category, we have to kind of understand the authority of government, what God has and has not uh, tasked the government with doing. And there's three kind of institutions that are, it's helpful to kind of look at and think about uh, to, to give, give us a sense of it. One is, the, is government, and this passage right here, right? Um, Paul says that God has given the government the sword to punish evil in society. Make sure that people can live peacefully together without threat of persecution or, or harm. And so the government is one institution, and the tool that the government is given is the sword. Another institution, we see it in Matthew 16, is the church. And God says, uh, or Jesus says in Matthew 16, he gives the keys of the kingdom to the church. So the government is an institution that's been given the sword. The church is an institution that's been given the keys, meaning the church's responsibility, the, the task that God has given to the church is to uh, declare the, the true gospel, to say what the gospel is and to say who the people of God are through membership and discipline and, and through the, the sacraments. That's the church's job and that's its jurisdiction. In Proverbs... 13, 22, 23, 29. Book of Proverbs over and over says that God has given parents the rod of parental discipline to instruct children, disciple their children toward maturity, punish them and discipline them as necessary along that, that path. And so you've got the government with the sword, the church with the keys, the family, the parents with the, the rod. God has not given the sword to the church, meaning that the church can practice membership and discipline, but it can't find people or put them in jail or kill them if they don't believe the gospel. The church is, the, God has given the keys to the church and not to the government, meaning that the government doesn't have the authority to say what the true gospel is. That's what the church, that's, what you, your, that's your responsibility as members of the church is to guard the gospel and affirm professions of faith of your fellow church members. It's not the government's job or authority to say what the gospel is. The government can't tell a church who can and cannot be a member of their church. Because that's, that's the ministry of the keys that God has given to the church. Different spheres of authority with different tools at their disposal to exercise that authority. Now, this is why I said it's complicated, it's tricky, because sometimes they overlap. So, 
If a parent wants to teach their child the gospel and encourage their child to believe in Jesus, then I imagine most of us here would agree that the government cannot and should not stick their nose in and tell them that they can't do that because that's the family's sphere of authority. But if a parent abuses their child, chains them to a radiator and withholds food and water because they talked back, then I imagine that most of us would say that it's appropriate for the government to interfere, punish the evil parents, and, and intercede on behalf of the innocent victim child. The, so so it's, it's ambiguous. Where, you know, whose authority is it? Or if the, if, the, if the government were to say churches are no longer allowed to declare that sexual sin is sin, and so if they do, we're going to shut them down, we're going to put the pastor in prison. I imagine many of us would agree that's, uh, that's not appropriate for the government to say. But if the government were to say churches are not allowed to practice human sacrifice during their worship services, even if it's the result of a sincerely held religious belief, you still can't do it. I imagine most of us would say, yeah, that's probably an appropriate thing for the government to say. So it, the, sometimes the spheres overlap. Sometimes you're not quite sure which sphere you're in. You have to like think about it carefully. But when the government has clearly wandered outside of its jurisdiction, I would submit to you that it is permissible for a Christian to, to disobey the government in those, in those instances. Even if what they're saying, because we've already established that if the government set, tells you to do something that is sinful, you have to disobey. But if the government tells you to do something that's not necessarily sinful, but is outside of its jurisdiction, I think you can disobey. Right? If the, if the government comes to you and says, I want you to marry this person, you're like, well, I guess it wouldn't be sinful to marry them, but I don't want to. So I'm not going to. You can't, that's not your job. You can't tell me that. Or if the government says, I want you to go to this church, and maybe it's a good church. Maybe it's a perfectly fine church. So it's not sinful to go there. The government's telling you to go there, but it's not their prerogative to tell you where to go to church. If the government says you have to register and wear this star on your clothes and go to this concentration camp where you're going to be experimented on and killed, you could say, all right, well, I suppose it's not sinful to do that. It's not sinful for me to get killed by a wicked government, but I'm just not going to do it because it's not your, you've, it's not your prerogative to tell me to, you don't have the authority to rightly call me to, to do that. So I think there is a space for Christians to practice civil disobedience in situations like, like that. So the, the kind of the flow chart essentially is for pretty much all the time, well, well 100% all the time, obey God. Pretty much all the time, obey the government. When the government uh, commands, you know, mandates you to sin against God, you have to disobey the government. And if the government has clearly wandered beyond its God-given role and authority, then you can perhaps disobey the government. But here's the catch. The catch is you have to be wise, you have to be honest, you have to be humble, because if you open the door, right, if you open the door of where, at what point has the government gone beyond its proper authority, if you open that door too much, you land right back in just anarchy, antinomianism, I'm going to do whatever I want, know it, right, you know, 
Speed limit's 45. Who the heck is the government to say that, that you know, they don't get to tell me how fast to drive. I'm going to do whatever I want. Tax rate's too high. It's oppressive. They're just wasting their money anyway. I'm not going to pay for it, right? You could very easily reason your way out of obeying a direct command from Jesus, which is to obey the, the government. If you uh, convince yourself too quickly that the government has, has overstepped its bounds and its, its authority. And so be careful. Be careful not to be led by selfishness and sin instead of by the Holy Spirit, lest you end up disobeying every single law just because you don't like it, rather than because there actually has been some uh, transgression from, from the, the, the government. Because that's exactly what Paul's condemning in Romans 13, right? He's saying, don't do that. Don't make yourself your own judge, your own jury, your own person that gets to say, I say when I have to, when I get to obey the laws, and when I don't. He says, no, you have to obey the laws. There are a few scenarios when you must disobey. There's probably even fewer scenarios when you are permitted to disobey. But by and large, you should obey the government as a normal pattern whenever it's possible For the vast majority of the time, you should obey the laws of the civil government. If they require you to sin, you can't obey them. If the government is abusing its power, then maybe you should not obey them. But those are the exceptions, and the norm is to obey the the government. And the reason why we should do that is because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus obeyed the government, even though the government that he was obeying was not uh, was a, was a bad actor. Jesus submitted to earthly authorities that he did not agree with, earthly authorities that were unjust, earthly authorities that were uh, overextending their power, abusing their power. First, First Peter two says, "For to this you have been called, Christian." You've been called to this because Jesus Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled and mistreated, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. And ultimately, Jesus bore our, body, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It is by his wounds that we have been healed. So Jesus knew what it was like to be under the authority of a government that wanted to silence him, marginalize him, oppress him, kill him. Jesus was accused by a wicked government of breaking laws that were themselves unjust and unrighteous, and through all of it, Jesus submitted and he obeyed and he suffered and he endured. Which is why Paul is calling us as the people of Christ to follow in the footsteps of Christ, and to walk with him as his disciples by obeying the government. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for uh, the government, which might sound, sound strange to say, but we acknowledge, God, that um, having uh, a governing authority over us is a blessing. It's easy to resent. It's easy to complain about. It's a blessing to have a government that passes laws and enforces those laws to protect us, and so we thank you for it, and we pray that we could relate rightly to it, respond rightly to it. God, we pray that as the people of God, we could submit to the governing authorities and be model citizens uh, for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.